and help us figure out what it is that we're supposed to do with these crazy service times. Because we changed them, and then everybody's now just later to the later time. So, which isn't quite what we had in mind when we did it. But if you turn in your Bibles tonight to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, you know, as I shared with you, last week's passage is one of those passages, all of chapter 10 and chapter 6. Those are passages the pastors look at and go, I don't want to teach that, God. And we kind of throw temper tantrums. I don't like that one. And and we, we do, it's a very spiritual thing. It's called whining in the spirit. And we whine in the spirit and we say, God, but I don't want to. And he says, but you have to because I put it in there for a reason. So I did that. Now we get chapter 11, which is kind of like, it's kind of like the reward for actually teaching chapter 10, I think. So, uh, tonight we're going to start a, a multiple part message called, uh, Great Heroes of the Faith, part one. And this is a wonderful chapter. Now I know nobody in here struggles with faith, right? You all have all the faith you need, and when problems come your way, you just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. And, you know, you never, like, try and take things on yourself and worry about them. Or you don't ever not trust God, right? <laughs> liars. A bunch of liars in here tonight. Yeah, we have, we have trouble with faith. And it's, it's very wonderful that after such a tremendously difficult passage of Scripture, there's this parenthesis, it's called Hebrews chapter 11, which is this great testimony of faith. And we're going to see in tonight's passage part of it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That ultimately our lives are so marked by faith, and that faith has been given to you, by the way. It's a gift. You don't earn the faith either. That's a grace gift. That's a gift of God's mercy. Faith works in our lives because God knows that it's a necessary part of believing in an unseen God. That the things that we are trusting him for, um, we don't always have all the component parts and pieces, amen? When you start to pray about something, I don't know about you guys, but God does not send me a list of here's the things that's going to happen as this unfolds. God never calls me up on the telephone, hello, this is God, you know, because God has a deep voice, we know that. <laughs> hello, this is God. And, and he gives you all of the things that are going to happen for the next six weeks or whatever. He does not do that. Instead, he has given you a wonderful component to your spiritual life called faith. And tonight we're going to lay the groundwork for faith. Faith is an absolute necessity, much like forgiveness in the life of a believer. Faith is a necessity. It is a required class. It's not something you can do with or do without. And I know a lot of Christians who do not walk by faith. Their life is appreciably no different than any person on this earth who does not know Jesus. Their life is is basically the thought processes that they can come to rational decisions and all of those things that we would just consider kind of the normal way that people live on this earth. We look at things and faith to them is, well, I almost got run over, so I'll stay out of the street. That's not necessarily faith. And we're going to find the definition here as we begin chapter 11 of what faith is. Because it is defined here very, very carefully, very concisely. And so I pray tonight, as T.S. Eliot wisely said, the great poet, he said, the greatest proof of Christianity 
for others is not how far man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. That's it. How far will you go to say, you know what, I trust God so much, I'm going to step out in faith. I trust God with everything. I'm going to do what he says, even though I can't see the results, even though I'm not sure. And so this passage contains that great hall of faith, the heroes. But it also begins by defining faith for us and putting us in that place where we can recognize what faith really is. And so let's give this evening to God and ask him to speak to us. Father, as we now just drink deeply from this well, Lord, that is your word. Lord, as we ponder again your marvelous message to the church that was the church that was comprised of Hebrews, Lord, a group of people who had learned to to make just an absolute mess of virtually everything, turned it into religion, turned it into tradition, so many steps and so many things that were just a flash, God. We, We pray that tonight we would not do the same thing with our own lives. Lord, help us to live lives of faith, deep faith. Lord, faith that trusts you in spite of the circumstance. Lord, faith that dares to take risks, Lord, for your kingdom. We pray that you'd bless us as we study, that you'd work mightily in this place. Holy Spirit, come and inhabit uh, each of us, Lord, tonight. Instruct us and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. First things first, the definition And now faith. So he's talked about the dangers of not walking with the Lord. The writer of Hebrews has laid down this hard passage of Scripture that says you need to really be careful. Examine yourselves. Make sure. Because you can't have it both ways. You either love God or you don't. And if you're abiding in the vine, if you're walking with the Lord then you're going to have to walk in faith. And so he says, now faith is. And I want you to underline that, just those three words. Faith is. Faith is. And then he tells us what it is. The substance of things hoped for. Is there anything rational from the world's point of view about that sentence? Absolutely not. Here's how I can tell you that that's the truth. Because when you tell somebody, well, I wish you well, does that do a thing? Does wishing well, does thinking happy thoughts, does you making note of something going on in somebody's life, has it any rational capacity to change a thing? The answer is no. So wishing... Or, I hope you have luck. Those are actually kind of foolish statements. We mean well, and I don't mean to demean the use of them in our English language, because we generally mean them as an encouragement. But they're absolutely pointless. When someone says, my thoughts are towards you, is that going to change a thing? The answer is no. Your thoughts, I hate to tell you this, aren't going to change a thing. I don't care how much thinking you do about your bank account, it will not have any more money in it. You can think all day long, man, I'm thinking. 
And you just sit there and you just think really hard. And I'm thinking and I want to grow taller and I'm going to get some hair. And you think and you squeeze real hard and you just have happy thoughts about it and nothing happens. Because thinking and wishing and all of those things do not change a thing ever. May make somebody enjoy the fact that you're thinking about them. There's some benefit to that part of of a statement like that. But insofar as changing a thing, they do nothing. That's why that's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is actually real. Faith has substance and faith has evidence. Faith is not just feeling something. It's not just thinking something. It's not just Wishing things. Faith has substance. Faith is a reality, in other words. Faith has evidence. When we use the word evidence in our English language, the easiest way for us to understand that is in the court of law. When I tell you I have evidence that is sufficient evidence in a case to win that case, you expect me to present something that is factual and real. Amen? The same is true for faith. Faith has evidence of its reality. And because faith has evidence of its reality, we do not have faith in faith. We don't have faith in hope. We don't have faith in good things. We have faith in someone who is able to bring about an actual result that has both substance and evidence. Very different than thinking happy thoughts. That Peter Pan mentality. Well, just think happy thoughts and you'll be able to fly. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And remember, the source of our hope is God. Amen? We are trusting in God. I am hoping in God. I am believing in God. And because I am, there is substance to my faith. And there is the evidence of my faith. And we're going to get to some of those evidences in a moment. Because your faith has reality. There is, There are parts of your faith that you can look at and go... I believed in that, and God showed me the evidence that the belief was warranted. Your own life is a classic example of that, amen? When you trusted Christ as Savior, you believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thereby were saved, amen? What happened after that? All of a sudden, because now the Lord is in you, because the Holy Spirit's in you, because you have a new leader of your life, and it's no longer you, but it's Him, things began to change. But was that change a program? The answer is no. It was a person. And that person happens to be invisible. But that person changed your life. 
And because that person changed your life, there is evidence of the faith that you had as you believed. The substance of it was the change in your life. It was a substantive change, amen? I can tell you there has been a substantive change in my life. From what I once was, to what I am today, and actually to what I see myself growing into in the future. There is substance to my faith. It is real. And the evidence of it is actually clear to anyone who cares to look. So my faith in Christ Jesus has substance and it has evidence. Praise the Lord. Because when people say, well, you know, that's just in your mind. Oh, no, it's not. Because if it were just in my mind, it wouldn't happen. Because nothing happens when you simply think about it. Hear what I said carefully. Nothing happens because you simply think about it. That is an absolute truth. So faith must be something other than thought. Amen? Lock that in. Because when you tell somebody you believe by faith, this is how you explain it. This is what happens when somebody asks you about the hope that is in you and the faith that you have to believe. Because it's not just some thing that is kind of out there and you can't explain. You actually can't explain your faith. And for by it, it says in verse 2, the elders obtained a good testimony. Notice the substance and the evidence. And by it, because we're going to get to all these people, and we're going to see that their lives were a testimony to faith. They were not a testimony to their great mental prowess. Amen? Abraham was a dork. He was not a good, you know, he was, he told, he, he, he lied about his own wife. It's my sister. Moses wasn't exactly a stellar character either. Dude is a murderer. You look at the historical record of people who've lived lives of faith, you find some pretty flawed individuals. And yet we find that their lives were marked by faith. So it wasn't just thinking happy thoughts. It wasn't because they were smarter than everybody else. It wasn't because they had a book and it just had all kinds of neat, helpful tips in it. And you just kind of go through and say, oh, wow, page 14, look. How to survive a temptation. No, by faith, we carry out our walks with the Lord. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Now, I want you to really hear these closely. And I'm going to spend some time tonight laying the foundation for the next couple of weeks. Notice what is said here, because this directly affects you and the world you live in and all that you think of. Because I can tell you right now, science does not have a clue how we got here. For all of our mental gymnastics, for all of the money spent, for the amount of time that has been invested in studying the cosmos, for the amount of time invested in cosmogony, trying to figure out origins, how we got here, all of those things, science still has no answers. Period. They'll tell you they do. And they spend a lot of time and a lot of words 
trying to convince you that they do. But the fact of the matter is, nobody can explain how we got here. Nobody can explain the origins of the universe. And I'm going to get to a little bit more of that in a bit. Or by faith, because let me tell you this. All cosmology has an element of faith, and I'll share with you how even the best scientists today, in essence, have nothing but faith in their calculations. The calculations themselves prove nothing. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. I believe God on that. God spoke, and it was. And I will tell you that is as good, it is a better explanation than the current state of science. It's actually more accurate. So that the things, now notice this. Now remember when this was written, no electron microscopes, hadn't smashed the atom yet, zero idea that the world was made out of things that were smaller than what you could see with the naked eye, so that... This was 2,000 years ago, folks. Nobody was sitting around with a proton beam accelerator. Nobody was sitting around in a lab somewhere, breaking apart atomic particles into their most tiny components. There was no such thing as a Large Hadron Collider over there in Switzerland and France. Did not exist. Had no idea. But it says, we understand that the Word of God, spoken, Framed the universe as we know it. Furthermore, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That was 2,000 years ago. We now know that's an absolute fact. And we now look at our world in a completely different way than these people did. Can you imagine them hearing this? Think about it. You know what the, the average person believed back then? That the world was flat, that there was an edge to it, and that if you got to that edge, you would fall off. That the stars in the sky were actually very small because they were very small. And they were not very far up there. They believed that people lived on the moon. Largely, the world as we knew it then the known world was believed to be all that there was in the entire, quote, creation. And so this story of faith begins with something that will test your faith right here, right now, today. Something that you can look at and go, do I believe God or not? Or am I going to let supposed science dictate what the Word of God should actually say. These few verses present more than the verbal capsule of our past history. They, they comment directly on our world today. St. Augustine said this, he said, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. I've lived long enough to see the results of my faith. Sometimes it doesn't happen every day. Let's begin to break this down. And now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so it begins to 
tell us what faith actually is. You see, faith starts with believing God's character. Faith starts with believing God's character. God in his word tells us who he is. He tells us about himself, what he thinks about us, in essence, why mankind is here. All of those subtle questions that the world still asks today, God's really given us a majority of the answers to those questions. The question remains, will you believe what he said or not? So faith starts with believing in God's character, that he is who he says he is, he does what he says he does, that he can do what he says he will do. You see, faith means trusting God. Period. Now, I don't know about you, I have very little faith in the Federal Reserve. I have little faith in our Congress at this current point in time. There's a lot of things about which I can actually see them, and I don't have faith. That's because faith is not attached to your sight. It's not attached to your senses. It it, it isn't something that you can taste and touch and feel and smell. Faith is believing in God's character, God's nature, God's power, God's abilities. But there's substance to that faith. And faith culminates, in essence, with us trusting God all the way to the end. In other words, believing his promises. Because we start at a point in time we give our life to Christ. Amen? You all had a point in time when you, when you asked Jesus into your heart. At that moment, you were saved. And I want to encourage you, don't miss Sunday. Because we're going to talk about the three persons of the Godhead's involvement in your salvation. Because it takes all three of them. But when you believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you began that walk of faith, the substance of that faith was very small. But as you grow in the Lord, the substance of that faith also grows in the Lord, and it culminates with that reward which is in heaven. So in essence, faith is a growing thing. It's something that continues to grow throughout your life. When you first become a Christian, sometimes, man, I don't know if I can trust God to keep me from out of the bar. I don't know if I can trust God to get me out of that relationship. And then by the time you leave this earth, having walked with God for a number of decades, you're trusting God to save the world. You're trusting God with not just your own life, but everybody else's life and your kids. And and it just it grows because there's substance to it. You've seen him do this. You know he can do this because he says he can. And you believe and trust that he will do these things because it's part of his character where you started. You see, it's the substance of things hoped for. Very often, uh, we think of the word hope as kind of an uncertain desire. That's the way a lot of people uh, view hope. And they actually lump hope and faith together. And they are to some degree linked together. But when we talk about hope, we, we say things well, like, I hope it doesn't snow today. We, we say things like, I, I hope I do well on that test. That's not faith. Because if I actually had faith, I would say, God, I'm trusting you that it's going to snow today. Or I'm trusting you that it's not going to snow. I'm going to use what I know about God's character 
to declare those things in faith. Now, if they don't happen, that doesn't mean that you didn't have faith. That may mean that God didn't want what you asked for. Praise God for the unanswered prayer. Amen? Man, am I thankful for the things God has not given me that I've asked for. That's not a lack of faith. That's God smarter than you. And he knows what you need better than you know what you need. But when I pray and I ask God, I say, God, I trust you with this. And I'm trusting you and I pray in the will of the Lord. I'm saying, God, I want what you want. And I can trust him 100% of the time with those things. So guess what? That's everything in life. That's your whole life. That isn't just some things. So when I hope, hope is not faith. Faith can have an element of expectation to it, but they're not the same. For believers, hope is a desire based on assurance, and that assurance is based on God's character. Lock that in. It's assurance. It's not wishful thinking. It is the evidence or the conviction is another way to look at it of things not seen. It means that as we believe in the Lord and we trust him, the reality of that thing is sure. The reality of that thing is sure. I am positive I'm going to heaven. That's not wishful thinking. God said it. Others have confirmed it. His word says it. The Holy Spirit says it. I believe it. It is assurance. I'm not going to at the end of my life, well, I hope I make it. I'm sure. The evidence is that conviction that is within me that says, that's what God promised. I'm trusting God is truthful 100% of the time. People, not so much. People can say all kinds of crazy things. May or may not come true. But God never lies. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He does not deceive. And what he says, he is faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. So my faith is assurance based on God's character, which primarily comes from his word. The things that are not seen. There are all kinds of things in your life that are not seen. Amen? You can't see eternal life. You can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't see your future rewards. You can't actually see heaven. You can't see angels. You can't see demons. There's a lot of things in this life that you cannot see, but they're very real. Faith invokes those things. It says, you know what? I believe. If you believe, there is something that we must do. Because if I truly believe something, and in this case that means I have faith, if I truly believe and I have faith in something that's true, then I act on it. Amen? So if I am going to really say I have faith, it demands that I act on that faith. I can't tell you that I have faith in something and then do nothing about it. Because then there is no evidence. But if I truly have faith, then the evidence of that faith is I act on that faith. I trust God with it. That's why we can have peace in those uncertain times. That's why when those things come into our lives, we don't have an answer for but we know the one who does. When we act on that faith, we're giving evidence that that faith is real. 
But if I shy away from it, that means we need to pray that prayer, Lord, increase my faith. Because we can trust God. The problem is we don't. So we need more faith. We don't need God to do more things. We need him to increase our faith to believe him for more things. Big difference between those two things. You see, faith regards these things to be real in spite of the fact that we can't see them. Heaven is real. Nobody's going to bring you, well, you know, I was just there and I got a picture. You know, it's like there's been half a billion books written about, okay, well, I went to heaven and I was there for 12 minutes and I came back. Nobody's been there. Nobody's seen it. Because if you've been there, you're still there. It means you're D-E-A-D, dead. You took your last breath, you're there. You're one place or the other. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's what Scripture declares. So it means that we are trusting in those things to be real and to be true. Faith means that if God promised something, he's going to fulfill it. God's made a slug of promises to you as a, as a Christian. Amen? He's promised to renew your mind. He, he's promised to give you strength. He's promised to get you through battles. He's promised to be your foreguard, your rear guard. He's promised you to be your shelter. He has promised to be your defense. He's promised to be your fortress. He has promised that he will take vengeance when necessary. He has promised to get you to heaven. He's promised to give you the faith to get you to heaven. He has promised a jillion things to you. Do you believe them? Because if you believe them, you act on them. You trust God. Faith is a tangible part of our walk. And we need to trust God. I need to trust God. I need more faith. Any pastor that says he's got enough faith is just not being honest. There's a person on this planet that doesn't need more faith. But praise God, he gave you a measure of faith when you believed. And you start trusting with those promises. Faith allows us to make God-honoring decisions based on unseen realities. So many ways that this particular aspect of faith comes into play. As a single person, are you trusting God to bring your husband or your wife? Because you need to. That's what he wants to do. That's why you don't go fishing in the sewer if you want to catch trout. That's why you don't have to make some absurd, you know, Facebook profile to get yourself out there. If you're trusting God to do what he says, he, he has said it's not good that a man live alone. And he's only given two types of relationships that any human being will ever have on this earth. Either single or married. That's it. So, if he hasn't planned on you being single, which if you have a desire to be married, and you have a problem with looking at the opposite sex, and going, man, I like her, that means you're in the married category. You can trust God with that. You can trust God with that. That's why when I talk to to teenagers... You do not need to do anything other than trust the Lord. You don't need to be dating 45 different people to find out the right one. If you really trust God, there is one right one. 
and God's very capable of bringing him or her. Amen? That's how faith works. But we as people, well, I've got to help God out. Because he's real slow. I mean, he is called Father Time, you know. I've got to help God out. I've got to tell God what I want him to do, because he just doesn't know. I mean, after all, he's busy, he's God. There's seven billion people on the earth, so I need to kind of tell him what it is that he needs to do for me. Now, trusting God is asking God what he wants and then trusting him with the results. That's faith. Not just simply doing what you think is best and hoping he blesses it. That's a recipe for disaster. Conviction about God's unseen promises allow us to persevere in faith regardless of the things that we see in front of us. Sometimes the greatest growth in the area of faith happens in those failures. Amen? When you're like, oh, I just don't know if God's in this, but I'm going to trust him anyway. And all of a sudden you get out the other side, and then in hindsight you see that God was being faithful all the way along. You couldn't tell then, but you sure know now. That's faith. We need to trust God. It's interesting that this passage, actually when you look at it, some of the verbs that are used here, it's the, it's the substance or the conviction or the evidence, uh, the assurance, all those words actually fit into these two places. It's the substance or assurance, it's the evidence or the conviction of things hoped for and things yet not seen. When you look at that, you can kind of look at it this way. It, it's kind of like, it, it's, it's almost like you've gone to the optometrist of faith. And you go in, now I don't know how many of you have, have problems with your vision. Uh, it is something you get to look forward to as you, as you age. And, and I've noticed that, like those of you in the back row, I think most of you are men. Um, I'm not sure, actually, totally, but half, half yeah. <laughs> it's what I'm talking about. Faith works like this. I know that my eyes aren't all that good. Up here, no problem. See perfectly. Out about 10 feet, mm, not so much. 50 feet away, mm, male, female, not exactly, kind of most of the time, sort of. Green street signs at night, forget it. They look like jello. When I put on my glasses, when I begin to look through them, they correct my vision. Faith does that. Faith corrects your vision. Because you see in this world dimly, as if a mirror. You, you see partially in this world with the eyes that you have, which are the real eyes that you see with. But that's not all there is to this life. Your vision needs to be corrected. Faith is the substance that corrects. Faith is the thing that does that. You see, if I just look at the world, I'm moving to Montana, becoming a survivalist. Okay, That's what happens. But because I know what God's Word says, and I trust Him with it, and I have faith in His promises, that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and he, His thoughts towards His people are good, and they're not evil, they're a future. And when I begin to look at God, and through the eyes of faith, I see the world, it's just like those Crazy fishing glasses you see on TV, you know, you take them off and you can't see a thing, then you put them on. Look, there's fish in there. 
You can do that. It's like night vision goggles. You've all seen those. Like our military has the, the nods thing that goes on their helmet, and they can flip it down, and it actually is a light-enhancing uh, thing that they can use for night vision. Those are all correction for the situation. Faith is correction for the situation. Probably some of you, maybe a few of you in here have had LASIK surgery. It's a correction to your vision. Your vision is blurred. Faith corrects your spiritual vision. It allows you to see things from God's perspective. Clear. Does God make any mistakes? No. Does God make you do do do-overs constantly because he just likes to watch you sweat? (laughs) No. You see, faith is that substance that causes you to see things correctly from God's perspective. So when we talked uh, some months ago about God's will, God only has three answers. They're yes, no, and wait. And most of the time, discerning that third answer, wait, is a matter of faith. Yes is very often easy. It's like, okay, God, you've spoken really clearly. Your word declares that. I'm going to do that. No is also very clear, because very often God's word has said, don't do that. Those two things are very often clear. But wait? Well, how long? For what? How many, God? And so he says to us, faith is the substance, the assurance, the evidence, the conviction of things that are hoped for and yet not seen. We act on it. Our vision's been corrected by the Spirit of God that dwells in us, and now that substance, which is our faith, enables us to view the world around us. Uh, God's that just tremendous optometrist that gets our sight back online. When we talk about faith, faith can be based on God's faithfulness. It can mean absolute trust. Uh, it can mean just barren belief in, in, in what God has said. Uh, it, it, it tends towards God's convictions of our deeds and those things that we ought to do based on his word. Faith always points to God. Did you hear that? Faith always points to God. Faith never points to this world, ever. Faith is a God thing. It points to God. So if anything that you think does not point you towards God, you can be pretty assured that it's not faith. At best, it's just your thought processes. At worst, it may be the enemy deceiving you. If it does not point you to the Lord, then it's probably not faith. God's grace saves us, not our faith. He gives us in his mercy that faith to believe and so that we have that relationship uh, so that we understand what God wants for us. And 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 I'm, I'm praying that we understand what faith is. Here's how it works out practically. And it begins here in verse 3 to just give us a couple of illustrations that we can kind of lay hold of for tonight. And we're going to only make it to verse 3. So he goes on. Now having explained what faith actually is, telling us how we ought to see the world around us, how we ought to respond to it. So faith causes me to trust in God's character, His nature, Faith always points to God. Faith would encourage me always to do what is God's perfect will. So if it's in his word, faith. If it's not in his word, I need to check it. 
Faith gives me the opportunity to have a handful of answers, yes, no, and wait. Faith points us towards God. And so as it points us towards God, it's interesting to me that he picks two of the most contested things on the planet to this day to describe how faith works in the world. For by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. That's number one. Second one, and that what we now see, this Bible, the chairs you're sitting in, this building, everything on this planet, everything in the entire universe, all of it is formed out of stuff that you cannot see. And in fact, it wasn't until 1992 that we even understood what that actually meant. Because it was in 1992 that cosmologists began to figure out that the world and the universe are made out of such tiny things that there's no excuse for them to actually have mass unless there's something there that we cannot explain. And so from 1992 till today, so 92, 2002, 2012, exactly 20 years, we have understood that we don't understand. That is the reason for the large Hadrian Collider that's on the border of France and Switzerland. That's why it was built. The world's largest scientific instrument. Cost of $17 billion. A 17-mile-long tunnel aligned with electromagnets, and they're trying to accelerate particles up to about the speed of light and then crash them into each other. Why? Because we don't want to believe what God's word plainly declares. That God spoke the universe into existence. And that the entire universe is made out of stuff we can't see. And that stuff that we can't see, by the way, makes up at least 92% of the known universe. Some people believe 98.6% of the known universe. And it's called either hot or dark or cold matter. It's something that's there. We only know that it's there because it does stuff. We cannot see it. And so here is an illustration of faith for you. I guarantee you when these words were written, nobody pulled out their periodic table of elements. Wow, look at that, helium. They, they were not thinking, you know, I, I've just, I was just looking at this air, and I'm pretty sure it's part nitrogen. They did not pull up a cup of water. Wow. Hydrogen oxygen combined. That's pretty cool. Didn't happen. Actually, those things wouldn't happen for 1,500 years till we started to look at the universe a little bit differently. But faith allows us answers to things that we still don't have answers to. And this is so important. Because the world is trying to cram down your throat a couple of different things that we're going to look at in just a moment to make you believe that God doesn't exist and that faith is stupid and that if you believe in God, you are a maroon. It's a nice way of saying moron. It's, you know, it's used in the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Maroon. This passage, in and of itself, this one verse, is a debate on the creation of the universe. 
But here's what I want to share with you. Probably most of you know in this room that the current best guess about cosmology, that's how the universe got here, is called the Big Bang. Amen? You all know that. Here's what you probably don't know. That they don't know. And they, they really don't know. The notorious Big Bang Theory started uh, evolving. It really came into, into view in about 1950. And a very famous mathematician, Sir Fred Hoyle, uh, came up with what was a concept known as the steady state model. The universe, in essence, has always existed, and it is in a steady state. In other words, if a galaxy moved, that it would cause so much impact on the things around it that the whole universe would collapse. That was the steady state model. It was believed until about 1950 or so. What happened in, in the 1950s and the 60s was they began to look at the universe from a very different perspective because we developed wonderful, monumentally large, huge things like the Hale telescope that sits down on Mount Palomar. And so when we got these larger telescopes, we could look further out into space. And instead of using little six-inch things, they're using a 300-inch mirror. And all of a sudden, we can see a long ways out into the known universe. And we're going, the distances are so vast that this whole process of thinking about the universe kind of being in stasis or, or just simply sitting there doesn't make any sense because we can now tell because of those vast distances, things out there are moving. So the steady state model goes out the window. Galaxies are twirling around. We now know that. Before we used to look at them, that's a star. No, it's a galaxy with billions of stars in it. So as we began to look at the universe, all of a sudden it became very clear that this whole universe was expanding. They started, things were moving further apart from one another. So came the supposed Big Bang. That model is the only thing that the world can come up with if you take God out of the equation to explain why the universe is rapidly expanding. It continues to get larger. The current model is the universe will one day get to its apex and then begin to contract back on itself and it will unbang. Very technical term. The unbang. But they got so tired, and probably most of you remember Dr. Carl Sagan, who is now dead, and a couple other guys, Hugh Downs, and uh, a gentleman that, that is just kind of a crazy person, but Dr. Timothy Ferris. But he used to write for a magazine called Sky and Telescope. And in a 1993 edition of Sky and Telescope, they didn't like the name Big Bang because guess why? When you think of the universe being nothing and nothing somehow becomes something and explodes, and that explosion somehow causes massive amounts of order instead of chaos, and it is extremely predictable, Big Bang doesn't quite get it. It's like, we've got to come up with another name. So they put out an a article. Uh, they asked the, at then the number of, of astronomers in the world, about 10,000 or so, they said, we've got to come up with a different name. And so they put out a survey, much like the survey we're doing, except we're not trying to determine the name of the universe. And in it came back some of these names instead of Big Bang. Uh, the Bottom Turtle, Super Seed, The Hubble Bubble, Bertha D. Universe, Doink, 
Let there be stuff? Hey, looky there at that. Nobody could come up with anything. So they sent back all these goofy names, and eventually they abandoned the contest because nothing fit like the Big Bang. Because in essence, what the, what the cosmologists believe is that there was nothing, that nothing somehow became something, that something exploded, and from nothing to something and then something exploded, we have everything in the universe, including all of the life on this earth. That's what people are taught to believe from science. And so they couldn't come up with anything. So they began to, be used, began to use things like, well, there was a quantum fluctuation in hyperspace. And they use these phrases that have no basis in any type of reality because we know basically how all matter physically operates. Uh, we have laws of physics. We have laws of thermodynamics that tell us what the universe generally does. And there are very few exceptions to those things. And certainly on a grand scale, those things must be constant or the universe would completely fly apart. And so in understanding that part of it, they began to say things like these. This is from an article three years ago uh, published uh, in the National, uh, Foundations, National Science Foundation's annual report. Um, by a Dr. Alexander Velkin from Tufts University, he said this. He says, we have proposed that the universe is created by a quantum tunneling from a literally nothing into a something we call the universe. And although it's highly speculatively, speculative, these models indicate the physicists find themselves again turning to the void and the fluctuation herein for their answers. That's another way of saying they got an empty bag, there's nothing in it, and they're looking. Astronomer Robert Oldershaw of Dartmouth College had some pithy sayings about that statement. He said, highly, speculatively, highly speculative indeed. He said, first, the Big Bang is treated as an unexplainable event without a cause. Now, if any of you know anything about the laws of physics, there's no such thing as an uncaused cause. A cause, by its definition, must have a cause. If there's something that exists, it has to exist because something exists. Hard to understand, I know, if you're an astronomer. Secondly, he said that the Big Bang could not explain convincingly how matter got organized into lumps, galaxies, and clusters of galaxies. Duh. Thirdly, it did not predict that the universe was held together in the way it is, with more than 90% of the universe having been formed out of something we cannot see called dark matter. So when someone says that an uncaused cause that was initially nothing became something and exploded, what they're saying is they got more faith than you do. That's the deal. And in fact, Oldershaw goes on to say this. He says the theorist also invented the concept of inflation and cold and dark, cold, dark matter to augment the Big Bang paradigm to keep it viable but they, too, have become increasingly conflictory in their observations. In light of all these problems, it's astounding that the Big Bang hypothesis is the only cosmological model that phys physicists have taken seriously. Yeah, I agree. Because we already know how it happened. God spoke the universe into existence. It is, it is right on the edge of exactly what they say happened. 
The problem is they don't want God in the equation. Their model, in essence, and it goes on to say this, Dr. Jerry Burbage, who's one of the top physicists, top astrophysicists in the world today, says this, The Big Bang cosmology has become a bandwagon of thought that reflects as much objective truth, but this situation is particularly worrisome because the Big Bang model requires faith. Really? I think that's what my Bible says. By faith, God framed the world. Period. I believe that. But we're still looking for a reason that's something other than God. Your Bible tells you exactly what happened. And you can trust it. We still don't know how stars form. We don't know how galaxies form. We don't know why the universe holds itself together. We don't even know why molecules are bound together. We have no idea how these things happen. There's lots of speculation, lots of theories. But at the end, science says 90% of what we know, we don't know. We don't know. We can't see it. We can't test it. It's not visible. It isn't there for all intents and purposes. But because we can't answer it, we can't let the silly Christians believe by faith. So we're going to say that nothing became something and exploded and got very ordered and became highly speculative but in that highly speculative environment, it produced all kinds of life also from nothing with random chance processes over billions of years. When your Bible simply says, God, in the beginning, said, and there was. I don't have a problem believing that because basically that's what science proves. So my faith is reasonable. My faith has substance. When I think of my faith, I don't go, well, man, you know, scientists disproved my faith. The scientists have not disproved your faith. They never will disprove your faith. They're not going to one day, well, here's the monkey man. We have three of them here in this church. I'm not talking about you, Rick. They're not going to be able to do it. What they're going to finally come up with is we don't know. They're going to be forced to deal with God. And every time they get to the end of that road, that's why over there in the CERN project in, on the Swiss-Franco border, they've actually dubbed that, that Boss Higgson particle the God particle. That's its affectionate name. Your Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 that he is the glue that holds everything together. By him all things consist, that they all have their being in him. He created them, that without him was nothing created that was created. So faith, the substance of things hoped for and yet not seen, it's the evidence of that. It's, it's how we live our lives. I don't ever have a problem with my life being a life of faith. Even my science backs up my faith. When I look at my world just causes me to have more faith. 
when I look at human life, how anyone can ever look at a human being and not believe in God is beyond me. I really don't know how that happens. When I look at the miracle of what you are as a human being, it just makes me trust God all that much more. Scripture says he has formed my inward parts, that he has known me before I was ever born. Have you ever wondered how come every single time there is a conception that it forms a perfectly unique DNA strand? It's because God has known you. He knew you before the foundations of the world. We still can't explain how that happens. We don't know why it happens. We know the basic process. We've been unwinding the human genome to try and figure out what happens. Science says that if there are enough random mutations, that eventually the good ones will be adapted and you'll collect all of those and pretty soon you'll have something better. The only problem is when you have a mutation at all, it normally results in a birth defect or a cancer or something that's very harmful to life. And yet the best that science can come up with is lightning struck a pond somewhere, somewhere in the primeval world, and boom, there were some amino acids, and they hung around for a few billion years, and they turned into proteins. Eventually those proteins became cells and developed little tiny mitochondria, and they all wandered around together until they had enough of them, and they became a liver. And the liver floated around for a while until it got next to a spleen, and pretty much the spleen, and then the 62,000 miles of blood vessels that are inside of your body, and... All of a sudden, there wasn't another pond. There was a heart. It's insane to not have faith. It's crazy. It is ludicrous beyond any definition of ludicrous to think that we got here other than God said and we were. It doesn't make a bit of sense. It doesn't. That's not meant to demean science, by the way. Because when you really start looking... At the end of your looking, you find God. All of a sudden, you're going, man, there's no explanation for this. Other than God said, it's the story of our faith, those unseen truths. And the more we unwind unseen truths, the more we know that there's a creator God who loves us. And you can trust him. You can trust in his character, his nature, his promises his truths, and as you do that, you function in this world the very best that you will ever go. You'll you'll understand science better than you ever did before. You'll have faith like you've never had before. You'll, You'll have a walk with the Lord that's as close as it can possibly be. And so I pray we'll do that. Faith. Remember what these... Three verses say, for now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony, for by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke them into existence. He simply said, ex nihilo, which in Latin is from nothing. There was nothing, and he said, I want there to be a universe right there. That makes more sense then. Something was just there without it being there. That the mass of the universe at some point in time was condensed down to something that didn't have a cause. 
and that something exploded. Do you see how ridiculous it actually is to not believe in God? If you don't believe in God and you believe in the Big Bang, you have more faith than I do. Because you're trusting in something that absolutely goes against every bit of physics, astrophysics, what we know about the universe, what we know about biology on this planet, all of those things. You have to fly in the face of science to to throw God out of the equation. Faith as substance. We understand it because he framed those things by the word of God so that the things which are seen, they were not made of things which are visible but invisible. We know that's a fact. You can trust God. Have faith. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for all the men of science that have run down these rabbit trails, Lord, and gotten to the end of themselves and realized that at the end of of every argument, there's a hole that only you can fill. And I pray that you just increase our faith. Lord, help us to trust your word and what it says and to live our lives by it. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, help us to have more faith as we walk with you. Lord, bless us as your people. Strengthen us, Lord. I pray for those that are sick. I want to pray for Jason tonight as he's just struggling with this bronchitis, pneumonia that's been going around. Lord, would you please heal his body? And Lord, we ask that prayer by faith believing that you who created us is able to heal us. And so, Lord, we do, we trust you. We just ask that you'd simply do it according to your will and pleasure. Lord, bless us. Watch over us. Keep us. Bring us together again to study your word, Lord, to encourage one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll pick up in verse 4. We got three verses. That's not bad.